You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Doing good? I know. I, I'm kind of with you. <laughs> it's still hot, but we're making it. Is everyone surviving the warmth? It feels good in here, though, right? Everyone's pretty good. I haven't seen any program fans yet, so we're keeping it cool. Uh, excited that you're here this morning. Excited uh, that you made it uh, to Banner Church. I know some of you guys drug your kids here, and you're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to be late. And we just say, like, I'm just glad you made it, honestly. Somebody who has a kid, I'm just happy you made it here. If you come in during the third song, only Gianna will judge you. All of us, we're all fine. But <laughs> we're just glad you're here this morning. Uh, I just, before I get started, I want to say a special thank you um, to everyone who gave and served uh, at the OCJ uh, backpack uh, collection. I don't know what's the word for it. What is it called? Tools for Success Drive. There we go. Uh, I just want to say thank you. You know, I, I just loved seeing that people bring in backpacks. You know, OCJ Kids, if you don't know, if you haven't been around, um, is a ministry that supports and, and works with Arizona foster care kids in the group homes. Oh my gosh, Michael's, what's up, man? How you doing? <laughs> sorry, that's my brother right there. I haven't seen him in like three months, so I'm just excited that he's here. Uh, <laughs> sorry, man, I don't embarrass you. Uh, but OCJ Kids, they minister to the Arizona foster care uh, group homes in our state. Just really a powerful ministry. In fact, uh, in September, in the middle of September, uh, we're going to have someone from there sharing uh, about what's going on during our missions month, is going to be sharing kind of what they do. But it was just cool to see, honestly, backpacks coming. I saw Bijan one week brought in like a massive bag full of backpacks, full of other things. And I just want to say I really appreciate you. And from Katie and I, I just want to say we love and value and appreciate that, that we can walk in uh, into this warehouse and just see just stacks and stacks and stacks of supplies and all the people that, that helped Wednesday night and Thursday night thank you for just packing bags and preparing. And it's like, well, you know, we did an hour. Man, an hour of that is just really crucial ministry for the Lord. And that what you're showing someone is you're saying, listen, we, I might never meet you, but God values you and he cares for you. And that's what we're all about, right? Is that love, disciple, send is first our primary thing is to, is to get in the presence and discover the love of God and then take that love to other people and say, hey, listen, God loves you. He values you. So I just want to say thank you. Can you get up to everybody who gave and served and helped for that? Awesome. Uh, if you're joining us this morning for the very first time, welcome. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Banner Church. And uh, we're, you're joining us kind of in the middle of our Jonah series. Uh, we talked last week through Jonah 1, and what we've been looking at really is that everybody was created on purpose for a purpose, and that our purpose as individuals is found in the presence of God, right? That you were created on purpose for a purpose, and your purpose is of a self-image. You do. It's not found in what car you drive. It's not found in how much money you have. It's not found in how, how good of a self-image you have. It's found in the presence of God. That's where your purpose. And so we talked through Jonah last week in Jonah 1 and how Jonah basically chose not to run from his job, but to run from the presence. And when he fled the presence, he fled the purpose. Are you with me this morning? Good. Here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to say things, and then if they're decent, they don't have to be good, just respond, right? <laughs> or else we're going to be here forever because I'll just keep looping around. Uh, <laughs> That's the Pentecostal church, you know. No, uh, we won't be here forever. But I, I believe that God's going to do something. And why I believe that is because last night God sent me a messenger of Satan, and her name was Hazel. And those that laugh realize that Hazel is my 12-year-old dog. And Hazel I love, but sometimes I swear that dog is possessed. And this is what she does at 3 o'clock in the morning. She goes up to a wall, and she stares at it like she can see through it, and she just barks at it. Just barks at a wall like you would think some Stranger Things demogorgon creature was crawling through it. She barks at the wall, and you get up, and you tell her no, but you don't want to be mad because she's trying to be a guard dog. She's trying her best, and I can't be mad, but she's just barking at the wall, and then I get freaked out and a little over-spiritual and just start anointing walls in my house <laughs> and get it just way over the top. Uh, we got some oil from Israel, and we just get super real uh, in the house, and then a little bit later, she wakes up again, and I'm like, hey, do you have this? This is your dog. This is yours. It's funny how your kid becomes the other one and the dog becomes the other ones once they start doing something you don't like. Like, this is yours. It's, 
tonight she's a messenger of Satan. <laughs> like, she's, not, she's not from the Lord tonight. You, please know that I'm joking. If you're new, please know that I don't really believe that this dog is demon-possessed, except sometimes. Uh, but, I, but I do love this dog. My dad and I actually found this dog, uh, Hazel, when we were fishing. She was one of 10 puppies that had been dumped um, when we were fishing, and, you know, we, we were hiking around, my, and my dad's like, oh, I think there's coyotes, and I was like, that's a pretty white coyote, uh, and they came running out, and so we had these 10 puppies, so being the good boyfriend that I was at the time, I took 10 puppies to my girlfriend's house and laid them out, out on the lawn, to which her father-in-law replied, great, <laughs> right, as any good father-in-law should when you show up with what's basically almost a baker's dozen of puppies, uh, you're not getting out of there with all those dogs. And so they adopted this one, and I, lo- I love this dog. But the thing that this dog loves to do, it's not fetch. It's not really any other dog things. It's to run. This dog loves to run, loves, 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 loves to run. And she thinks it's a game because she doesn't know that I'm not fit. And so she does this kind of like pounce, like, are you ready? And then she does one of those like ankle breaker jukes and just leaves me on the ground because I-, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't play tight end or something. And, and then she runs. And then the more, I remember one time I, I, I let her out of the house and, and she'd run and then she'd play this game and then she'd run farther and I'd yell more. And so she would kind of be like, I don't really want to go to that. That sounds scary. And so then she would keep running, right? Does anyone have a dog that's ever done this? They just like keep running. And you're like, I feed you and care for you. Why are you running from me, right? And so you chase them more and more and more. And I'm thinking like, I can't let my, I mean, I know I gave her the dog, but you can't let your, at the time, girlfriend's dog die. Like, I mean, we're close, but that might be a relationship ender. Be like, hey, babe, I love you, but not enough to care for your animals. You know, <laughs> it's hard. It's real. If you ever killed your you know, loved one's pet, you know, that's a damager. It comes up later. But, uh, <laughs> but the dog is running, and I'm screaming, and I'm chasing, and the dog's an idiot. The dog has no idea. It's running into traffic, right? It's running towards the road, and so I'm running. The dog's running. It's having the time of its life. It has no idea it's running towards death, right? And so I'm pursuing it. I, at this time, am loving the dog less and less. But I love this dog, and I'm pursuing it, and I'm running after it, and I'm screaming for it because it has no idea that in its frivolity and its fun life of bouncing around and being crazy, that it's basically just running to its doom. And that the consequence of his doom is an unforgiving tire on the bus of life. And it doesn't realize that it's running towards it. And what when as I was thinking about this dog last night and I was deciding whether or not I would help her run away is I, I was realizing that that is so Jonah and that is so us, right? That this is us. It's like that show that makes everyone cry. This is us. This idea of running, of fling, being pursued by someone who loves us, but just running and having fun and not really realizing that we might be running towards the very thing that's going to kill us because we don't have quite the perspective. Is everyone with me this morning? Yes. We understand dogs, yes? Amen. (laughs) And that they don't get it. But there's this idea of pursuit that happens in Jonah 1 where Jonah is fleeing, he's running, and he's being pursued. And he's being pursued not because God doesn't want to lose anybody because it makes him look bad, but he's being pursued out of love. This morning, I don't know if you knew this, but God is pursuing you in love. He's running after you in love. And so this morning, we're going to read in Jonah 2 uh, when, the, when Hazel gets to the road and I get to the road, but the Jonah version. So let's pray this morning. God. I thank you that we can gather together. I thank you that we can worship you. I thank you that we can declare your praise. And so, God, as we open your word, as we study your word together, God, may you speak to our hearts. God, may they be soft and open to your word. Maybe we've never even been in a church before, but my prayer is this morning that our our hearts will be open to your word. Maybe we've been here a hundred times and we've heard Jonah a hundred times, but God, I pray that you would open our hearts to what you want to speak this morning, that we would be transformed and just reveal a deeper, deeper level of your love. God, if there's more of you to have, we want to have it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the progression that we're working with uh, this morning comes out of Jonah. We're going to be in the book of Jonah. If you brought your Bibles open to Jonah, if not, in just a moment, the words are going to be on the screen. But I just want to give you a quick recap if you missed it, in that Jonah was called by God. And the progression is important, right? The story is important. I just watched Infinity Wars. 
the, the other day, finally, because I have kids and I don't go to the movies anymore. And I've not wa- I've missed some Marvel movies, and it showed. Uh, because I'm like, who is this? Like, who is this guy? What's with his chin? Like, I literally was totally lost the whole movie. And I, I, that's why I think progression is really crucial and important. That was funnier in my head. But... Uh, Jonah is called by God. Thank you, Jana. She lives with me. Jonah is called by God, and God sends his word. In Jonah 1.1, we read last week that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Really, God brought Jonah into his perspective to see through the perspective of God to share the word. But that we read in Jonah 1.3 last week is that he paid a fare and went and got into a boat to flee away from the presence of God. Not his job, the presence of God. So what happens is that God sends a storm. And of course, when God sends a storm, right, Jonah repents. He's brought into total reconciliation. He's living his best life. No. Jonah goes to sleep during the storm. So what does God do? God sends a messenger. And God sends a messenger to kind of bring the word. Again, God said to him in verse 1, just a recap, arise, go to Nineveh, call out. Now in verse 6, he sends a messenger, the captain, to say, arise, again, call out to your God. And so Jonah has now fled, and even when uh, God sends a messenger, Jonah still refuses to pray, which we talked about earlier. The man of God just refuses to pray. They say, call out to your God, and he's like, I don't know, just throw me in the ocean. Like that is his leap when it comes to prayer and understanding prayer. And so what happens is eventually the guy's like, no, no, we're not going to throw you in the ocean, man. You're being so dramatic. What if we just rode harder? And then eventually they're like, all right, now toss him in. And so he's in the ocean, and Jonah is thrown into the sea. And so where we are as a church is that Jonah is living out the full consequences of his sin. I've been in this place. It's where I'm living out the full, real, unshakable consequences of my disobedience and rebellion. I won't make you raise your hands if you've been there. But God is still pursuing him. And so what does it say that he does at the end of chapter 1? We didn't read this verse, but it's important. In Jonah 1, verse 17, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Is it a whale? Is it a fish? I don't know if that's really crucial to your salvation. Um, but we can argue about these things forever because they're fun. Um, but there are lots of stories, or you know, enough stories through time of people being swallowed by fish. I was even reading the story of a whaler who was swallowed uh, in the, the attempts to kill a whale, and when they finally killed it, they found him unconscious and severely emotionally traumatized inside the whale, but he was alive. So there are stories like this, but what I think is the most important thing isn't even necessarily... Uh, the fish, but the idea that God appoints a fish. If you like to underline things in your Bible, which is okay, you don't desecrate it. It's not like you underline it and all of a sudden, like, the Holy Spirit just escapes it. Is that, is that underline the word appoint because it's important. Is that God appointed the fish. And sometimes God will appoint unique situations or people or circumstances to bring you into salvation. Right? God will often appoint the thing we least expect to bring us into salvation. God might appoint a friend that you don't even know that well to bring you to church to find out that turns out you have not been living with the full hope in life that God has meant for your life. God might bring in a situation where you're working a job and you're giving your all to it. All of a sudden you get a pink slip. Is a pink slip uh, a fish for you? I don't know, and I don't want to get into weird theology, but it's important. Sometimes God will send the fish that looks like a breakup for a relationship that y'all should have just kicked a long time ago, and all of a sudden you're like, is this a fish? Or you know, I don't want you looking for fish behind every bush here. But I think it's important that God appointed a fish. And what's cool to me, and I feel kind of comforted in, is if God can use a fish, messy, slimy, big, you know, just kind of swimming in the ocean, he can appoint me. That God can appoint you. And sometimes we're like, I don't know if I'm really meant to bring people into the recognition of salvation and the hope and life in their life. And God's like, really? I'm using fish. If I can use fish, I can use you. Fish don't even talk. I mean, they, I mean, they talk fish. I'm not going to talk whale. I love Dory. But, fi- I mean, fish don't do anything. They can't even be on the land. They can literally eat people and then poop in the ocean. That's like it. That's all they can do. And so God appoints a fish to bring him in. 
And Jonah 2, what happens in the fish is what is really considered the psalm of Jonah. And I love Jonah 2 because it reminds me and it pulls so much of Psalm 139. And if you guys remember when we did the psalm series, if not, go back and listen to it on the podcast. Uh, we talked through Psalm 139. And he pulls a lot of Psalm 139 here. And it's really, really powerful. Because it says in the prayer, which we'll read right in just a second here, is Jonah prayed to the Lord. But he didn't have like a pen and he didn't have paper. This is, a, this is a summation of the prayer that he prayed. Is everyone with me this morning? Right. This is a collection of the prayer that he prayed. This is, a, uh, this is kind of multiple things. He couldn't write it down. He wasn't like, Siri, record confession. <laughs> you know, like, I have five reservations. No, confession. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't have any of these capabilities. So what's happening is that God's inspiring scripture, and he's writing down, this was the prayer of my heart in the fish. Is everyone with me? Great. I want to read this together starting uh, John, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, because I think it's, it's really powerful. And if we can get a hold of this, we can see the heart of Jonah. And there's something beautiful that's happening here. I love poetic things. I love songs. So this really does it for me. Uh, so I, I just encourage you, follow along. Words will be on the screen. But it says this, starting in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or sometimes it'll say the depths. Mine says Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. There's some crazy things that are happening. First of all, just the phrase, then Jonah prayed, should make us go like, come on, man. Right? Jonah didn't pray when he got called by God. Jonah didn't pray when he ran from God. Jonah didn't pray when he got to the ship. Jonah didn't pray when he got on the ship and on the sea. Jonah didn't pray when he was in the storms when they were like, pray and save us. And he was like, nah, just throw me over. Jonah didn't pray when he was in all of those things until he was in Sheol. Right? Until he was in the depths. It says, then Jonah prayed. And it's funny because we do this, church. The church does this, is that we treat prayer as a last resort. When everything else is gone, then we'll pray. I see this all the time. Uh, and people post about it, you know, on Facebook or all kinds of things. That something happens and they're like, well, what can we do? It's like, well, I guess we, all we can do now is pray. Like, all we can do now is pray. Prayer is the best thing that we can do. You are literally given access to God who created the universe, who loves you and knows you, who says, call me Abba Father, which means Daddy God. You have access of a child. And he's saying, listen, come before me, and I'll answer you. And you, we go like, ah, I guess that's all that's left. All that's left is just going before an all-powerful, all-creating God who knows us, loves us, cares for us, who sent his son to die for us. All that, I guess that's all that's left. Just sending prayers. But God says, pray, call out to me. Prayer is powerful. It's not a last resort. We don't do presence night. We don't do pre-service prayer just to toss it in because then maybe God will do something. We know that it is crucial and key for revival in our lives to, and in this city for prayer. Prayer is the primary. Prayer is the beginning. It's not just thoughts and wishes. Let's Sending thoughts to Paris. Your thoughts aren't going to do jack. Your prayers are going to do something. They're going to stir the heart of God to action and movement. And I'm not saying don't, don't think nice things. That's too serious 15 minutes into the message. Uh, but I'm saying that the prayer is powerful and that Jonah, we should be stirred in our heart like Jonah. God literally talks to you. And you're not going to talk back. I'm here yelling things all the time. Jonah prayed and, and I I think of it like this is that this is really a song. <clears throat> it's really a song. And I think it's better in its original language for this reason is that he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. See, uh, distress, the Hebrew word, which I'm sorry if you speak Hebrew because I don't, I'm going to try. It's just Sarah. It's like Sarah with a T kind of. And it's similar, this word, when he's saying distress, similar uh, to, to this idea of childbirth. He's using a childbirth type term when he's describing the, dis the distress. Really, the distress as if I'm being born. Is everyone with me this morning? This is kind of the terminology, like not like I'm worried about a test, but the kind of tension, the kind of pain, the kind of focus as if there's birth occurring. 
And he says, he rescued me out of shale. God, he calls on God, and God rescues me out of shale. If you remember from Psalm 139, if you were here, listen to the podcast. Um, we talked about shale. It means literally the grave, the depths. And it's often translated as hell. To be rescued from hell itself. Right? Shale, I was going through hell, and you heard my prayer, and you answered. See, some of you, I feel like, I feel like God, this is going to resonate in your life this morning. This is going to resonate in your heart because you've been here. When I was far from God, when I was lost at sea, when I was in the depths of despair, I cried out to God and he answered me. When I was in the deepest, darkest hell that a man can be, he cry, I cried out and God answered me. I cried out from the shale of my marriage and he restored me. I cried out from the shale of my relationships and he lifted me up. I cried cried out from the shale of my health, and he heard me. I cried out from the shale of my mental health, though I was locked in depression, and no one could know, and no one could hear me, and no one could ever understand. I cried out from the shale, the, the shale that I was in. If you're going through shale, keep going, right? <laughs> and I cried out, and God answered me from shale. God answers prayers. God answers. God answers. Hear me again. If you, if you feel like you're in shale this morning, God answers prayers. God answers prayers. And look really at uh, these two kind of chunks together. I uh, called out the Lord out of my distress, and he answered. Out of the belly of shale, I cried, and you heard my voice. I like these two things because what he's saying is he's saying, when I cried out in Sarah, when I cried out in this kind of distress, God delivered me from shale. Let me kind of rephrase it here uh, to, to kind of like, break down the song, break down the, the poetic nature of it. He's saying, when I was completely dead, God had mercy on me <clears throat> and gave me a new birth. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Let me say it another way without coughing. When I was dead, God had mercy on me and I was born again. Right? Out of Sheol goes back to Psalm 139 when, when he's talking about the, this idea of birth and this idea of being in the womb. When, when I had nothing to bring, when I had no control over my own salvation, when I had no reason, like, I'm not bringing any virtue that God's like, oh, because you've done this, therefore I've saved you, just for the pure reason that he loved me and had mercy. When I was in distress, when I was in the grave, God brought me to new life through the distress and pain of a new birth. Is everyone with me this morning? Thank you. When I had done nothing to deserve mercy, God gave me mercy. We read last week, and I'm going to read it again, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated with us with him in the heavenly realms of Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. When I had done nothing to deserve mercy, God gave me mercy. When I was in the grave, when I was in shale, when I was in, when I was down in the depths of my own making, through my own rebellion, through my own running, when I had nothing to offer, no power, no control over my own salvation, God moved and rescued me through a new birth, that I was born again. There's a reason he's using the words. Words in the Bible are not a mistake. There are a reason. I was given a new birth. I was born again, though I should be dead might ask, why, why, why go through the pain of the new birth, right? Can't God do anything, right? Like, why does God leave us? Why does God bring a fish and put us in the belly for three days? Why doesn't he just take us? God can do anything, right? Why, why does he put him in a, in a fish? Because at the end, the fish vomits him out, but he's still 350 miles away from Nineveh. He's not close, why does God bring him through? He could do anything. He could be like the Lord of the Rings. I feel like Tolkien always writes himself into a corner, and then he's like, and eagles. And they just save them. That was for the nerds, and you guys didn't laugh, so no more nerd jokes. Um, 
But I believe, you know, God sends this moment where he sends this kind of, this fish to save him. But God was mostly concerned, and he's always concerned with turning our hearts before he turns our feet. And that God was so concerned primarily with turning Jonah's heart back to him before he turned his feet back to the mission because there's a progression that occurs. Amen? Amen. See, I, I believe that some of you right now are in shale. But through the tsara, through the distress, through the pain of a new birth, God is going to bring new life. God is going to bring something new. God is going to birth. You're going to be born again into a new life of Jesus Christ. And this whole time, though he's in distress, though he's in pain, you know who's with him the whole time is the Lord. That God is pursuing him this whole time. He sent the word, he sent a storm, he sent a captain, he sent the crew, he sends a fish. And oftentimes I find myself looking at the fish as a curse when really like God's like, man, I'm rescuing you. You're out of control and I'm sending everything in the book. I'm sending storms and people and monsoons and messages and people that you know, people that you don't know. Now I'm sending you fish. Don't curse the fish. It might spit you back in the ocean. Like I'm sending you all kinds of stuff because I'm pursuing you because my desire is that you would be in my presence. See, God is at work even while Jonah is in distress because he's trying to do something in his heart. He's trying to bring him back to his purpose, and he cannot find his purpose in Tarshish. He cannot find his purpose in the sea. He cannot find his purpose in his job. He can only find his purpose in the presence of God. And God's saying, I'm pursuing you, and you're running, but you're not faster than me. And I'm finding you. I'm coming after you this morning. Jonah 2, 3 through 7. Jonah kind of has this realization. I think it's good when you're in the belly of the fish. It's good to have a reality check about where you are. And he says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds wrapped about my head, and at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. Brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When I, my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Isn't it funny how we work? God's just here screaming at him. <laughs> and he's like, oh, now I remember the Lord. And we think, I, I didn't forget God. And maybe that's you and not me. I, I feel like I struggle with that, that we forget the Lord. And it's not often until we're at our lowest point in shale that we remember God. We remember that he's faithful. We remember that he's good. We'll remember who he is sometimes, but we forget him. It's kind of like if I didn't talk to my wife for weeks and months, but I showed up on Christmas and I said, I remember you. How many of you guys would let me off with that? No, none of you would. <laughs> The same reason if I, if I as a father and, and, and my daughter do the same thing and then I show up at Christmas, again, it's not building that kind of relationship. It's not building that kind of hope, that kind of connection, that kind of thing that, that's supposed to be. It's like I've forgotten. I haven't remembered. Remembering it means something. And I feel like so often in our prayer and in our life and when it comes to purpose, we treat God kind of like the fire extinguisher in the kitchen. Like I know I have one and I know I'm supposed to have one, but I really only reach for it when I start to see the flames. Is everyone with me this morning? Like I know I'm supposed to have this in my kitchen. It is somewhere. I know we have one. And occasionally I might see it when I'm doing other things or come about it in my busyness, but I really only reach for it when I start to see the fire. It's a metaphor. The fire is hell. <laughs> it's warm, so I'm laying it in uh, this morning. But this idea that we have, that, that Jonah has this shift, as he has this revelation, he says, of course, God. Of course, God. Because when I was in my deepest part, when I was in my darkest place, I remembered God because God has been pursuing me. It's easy to remember God because he's right there. He has not forgotten us. He has not abandoned us. He is still with us. And so Jonah has a revelation in the belly of a whale. I've had this. Anyone ever had just a revelation in the belly of the whale? Like, oh my gosh, that's who the Lord is. That's who God is. That's who he's called me to be. And so he offers prayer and he gets into his presence. I'm going to offer you a side note. Even 
If right now you're like, I feel like I'm in the belly of the whale. I'm, I'm kind of like living in the consequences. I feel like the Lord saved me. I'm not going this way, but I'm certainly not in my promise. I'm in the belly of the whale. The good news is you can be fully in the presence of God even in the belly of a whale. You can be fully in the presence of God even when you feel like you're down in shale. He's still there. His presence is still there. Where can I go from your presence? That you are always there and always with me. And so he kind of, in this moment, and again, we're talking about purpose in this series because I believe a church without purpose is just kind of dead. And so we as individuals need purpose in order for our church to have purpose. And our purpose is found in the presence. So look what happens. This just states my case here that when Jonah gets back into the presence of God, watch his purpose arise. When Jonas gets back in, before he's whiny, he doesn't say anything, he doesn't go to God, he's thrown into the sea, it's kind of this whole thing. But he gets into the presence of God, and immediately what happens is he prophesies, right? Because last week, we all agreed he was not a very good prophet, or even a prophet anymore. But now, all of a sudden, when he gets back in the presence of God, even in the belly of a whale, even in a fish, all of a sudden, he finds his purpose, and he begins to prophesy. And he says, in, in, in verse 8, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So not a great prophecy for, <laughs> for other people, but it's super, super, super crucial. He's given this... Uh, scared straight prophecy. Don't do what I did. Don't run how I ran. Don't seek after what I seek after. Don't run after what I do. I ran after. You know, you ever see that show and it's the, the, the guys talking to the kids and they're like, man, don't do what I did. Don't walk how I did. Learn from my example or else you're going to end up in prison too, right? And this is Jonah giving us all the prison talk. Don't do what I did unless you want to live in a whale, don't do what I did. Don't follow my example. And so what does he say? He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their steadfast love. This is powerful. This kind of like shakes me and freaks me. I'm your pastor, but this is important for me to hear too. Those who go after vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This idea of steadfast love, the term here is loving kindness. And the Hebrew word here, I, I love you more, is hesed. And basically it's this idea of the all-pursuing love of God. That word literally means, it's translated different ways in different versions, it literally means the pursuing love of God. So here's what Jonah says, when I pursue the vain things of this world that in the end are temporary and do not matter, I am trading away the all-pursuing love of God. When I pursue the, the vain things of the world, when I pursue the vain idols, I'm trading away the hesed, the all-pursuing, all-powerful love of God. The idols of Jonah, what were they? They were prejudiced. We read in, in a, a chapter when they were prejudiced. I don't want to go with those people. I don't want to do that. Those aren't kind of my crew. I don't like them. Uh, I'm prejudiced against them. Those kind of people will never get it. Those kind of people will da-da-da-da-da. His other one was self Right, God, I know your word, but I want to do what I want to do like I want to do it. And if you were a loving God, then you would accept me as I am and not judge me because I want to do what I want to do. The idol of self. I, I got to be honest, church. I feel like we can be honest together, right? Amen. We can be honest together. I think the idol of self is killing the church. And I get in these conversations, and, and I get grace, and I get having good judgment versus being judgmental, and those are two different things. But the idol of self has robbed the church of its power because we say, God, I know that you said this. I know that I read your word, and it says this, and I know that you have all the power and the authority and the might, and I know there's all these great things, and there's healing and power and transformation and life change, but I just want to do what I want to do. Why can't you just accept me, God? If you loved me, then you would just let me do what I want to do because that's how love works. And anybody with kids is like, that is not how love works. <laughs> but that's, that's me. I'll be bold enough to say that I have said that in my own life. God, I, I just want to do, I know you're saying this, but I just want to do this because it's comfortable. And, I, man, I've worked so hard. <laughs> just give me a break this week. But that's not how it works. The idol of self will rob us, will forfeit the all-pursuing love of God. God, I know you said to love these people, but I just don't want to. God, I know you commanded us to go into all the world and make disciples. Literally, Jesus told us to do it, but I'm so busy. 
right? And we wrestle with the idol of self. And I hate bringing up the idol of self because I get the least amens. But the reality of it is that it robs the church of its power because when we cling to the vain idols, we're making the worst trade that could ever be made. We're trading away the all-pursuing, powerful love of God. And can I tell you that there is a love of God that has pursued you from the beginning of time, that if you tap into it, it will never run dry. It will never run out. It will never leave you or forsake you. There is a love that you cannot drink to the end of. There is a love that is so good, but if we trade it away for vanity, then we'll miss it in its entirety. And I think it's a bad trade, if I'm going to be honest. I, uh, I've used Craigslist twice. Both times I've tried to, tried to sell things and people keep trying to trade me things. Tried to trade a guitar pedal one time. Someone offered me a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> That's a bad trade. Raise your hand if you'd take that. Be honest. Yeah, anyone who doesn't play guitar is like, That's fine, I'd get rid of it. <laughs> That's fair, and I don't blame you. Someone leaves a guitar pedal at your house, trade it for a chicken. You can't eat a pedal. But I think it's a bad trade. But what I think is a worse trade is trade away, trading away the all-pursuing love of God for something that will not last, for something that will not sustain you, for something that will not bring you eternal happiness. And I think some of you this morning are realizing, man, I might be making a bad trade. This is a great place to realize that because there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no judgment here. But some of you are realizing this morning, I'm making a bad trade. I'm trading away the all-pursuing love of God for what? For more stuff? I can't even fit any more stuff in my garage. i got to go buy another storage unit because I have so much stuff. I have to pay somebody else to build a garage so I can use their garage too. And I just keep wanting more. And I'm trading away the all-pursuing eternal love of God for stuff that I don't even know what's in there. Some of us are pursuing or trading away the all-powerful, all-pursuing love of God for self-image. We just want more. We want to look better, feel better, think better, be better. And, and, we're, and we're so focused on ourselves that we're missing it. Some of us are so focused on money. I got to have more. I got to have more. I got to. Uh, I came from people that, I, I came from family that didn't have money. So I want to have money so that I'm never poor again because I refuse to ever be like that. Please be successful and work hard. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we can make that an idol in our life and forsake the all-pursuing love of God. Your purpose is not found in money. Your purpose is not found on a screen. No matter how good looking that girl on that screen is, she will never satisfy anything in your heart ever in the entirety of your life. You will never be satisfied with that. There is no purpose there. There's no purpose in, in that relationship that you know is dragging you somewhere you shouldn't go and you keep holding on and then you keep feeling guilty and you keep feeling farther. There's no purpose there. Our purpose is in the love of God. And so God is telling Jonah, Jonah, stop trading away the all-pursuing love of God that has chased you down, that has come after you. Stop trading it away for vain idols of self because it's good. And if you could get a hold of it, it'd be like seeing in color for the first time. It'd be like living life for the first time. It'd be like breathing for the first time, real good, fresh air. It'd be like something, be like being born again if you stop trading it away. And so Jonah has this kind of revelation, I'm making a bad trade. And what I love about Jonah is he doesn't make excuses. He just says in uh, verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Or sorry, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, Jonah came from a culture where you had to take your sacrifices to the temple. And so what Jonah is saying here is the sacrifices that God wants isn't sheep right now. It's something else. It's the sacrifice of Psalm 51. Jonah knew the Bible well. He said, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. God is saying, you will not turn away a heart that is steadfast and completely just broken and saying, God, I give you it all. 
I give it all to you. No excuses. You know how I'm here. You know why I'm in shale. You know why I'm here. We both can be real. You can be real with God. You can be honest with God. You might be in shale with God. He's saying, listen, God, look at these idols. Take these away. I don't want these. I want the love. I don't want the idol of self. I want the pursuing love of God. I don't want the idol of prejudice. I want the pursuing love of God. I don't want the idol of this relationship. I want the pursuing love of God. I don't want the idol of this money. I want the pursuing love of God because when I wasn't in it, I didn't have my purpose. And I got to have a purpose. I can't go one more day without a purpose. It says salvation belongs to the Lord. In Ephesians 2, we read, it's a gift. It belongs to God. And I want to go back to this because I, I want you to get this. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. As I want us to get this is that we were created to live in communion of God. You know, I love the story of Jonah because it's the story of us. It's the story of Jesus. Jesus actually uses it to tell the Pharisees, this is the sign you're going to get, the sign of Jonah. There's no mistake Jonah's in the belly for three days because it points to kind of something important. He said, we were created to live in communion with God. But sin came in and created rebellion within us. And that God has always pursued us, but we have always ran through disobedience and sin. And yet God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son to die for us. He sent his son to pay the price that we could not pay. He sent his son into shale, into the grave for us, so that three days later, just as Jonah was spit out into the promise, Christ was raised up out of the grave so that we might walk, not married to, locked into, uh, uh, a slave to the vain idols of our life, but that we might receive the fullness of the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. That we might walk in the fullness of the love of God. That we might be in shale. That we might be in that place. That we might be in the depths and cry out and know that we are not alone. That we have a God that answers us, that loves us, that knows us. And though I might feel like, God, I'm in the shale of my health. I'm in the depths of my health, God. I'm trapped in here, God. I'm in the depths of this relationship. I'm in shale of this relationship, God. I need help. I need rescue. I need deliverance. We can cry out to God and God will say, my love has always been pursuing you. And if you don't have these vain idols that take its place, then my all-pursuing love has a straight line to your heart. A straight line to your life. And just like last week, he, Jonah makes a choice. Last week he made a bad choice. This week he makes a good choice as he says, enough of the idols. I need purpose. I need presence. God, I know I've tried to do it my way. I've tried to follow after things I want to follow after. I've tried to justify it. I've tried to work around it. But God, I'm in the depths. And in the depths, all the energy I have left is to say, God, I need your love. God, here's my heart. The great thing is God paid the ultimate price for you, the ultimate price for your life. And all he's asking in return is for you to say, here's my full heart. Here it is. Here's my full heart. And sometimes we hand our heart and there's still this little idol sitting on it. God says, what about that? What are you going to do about that? Well, I'd really like to hang on to that, God. He says, no, I don't think we're quite there yet. Because out of the pain, out of that sorrow, distress, I, I want to bring you in to new life. You can't have new life with half a heart. With something that's not fully given over. Somebody's not fully surrendered. It's got to be full. It's got to be all the way. And God is saying this morning, that all-pursuing love, don't trade it away for the idols. But this morning, make the choice to say, I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe it's self. Maybe it's a past bitterness you just can't let go of. Maybe it's past pain. Maybe, maybe it's anger. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Whatever it might be. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's self-focus. Maybe it's your calendar. Whatever it is in your life, I don't put that on you. I don't preach personal you know, preference. I, I'm just here to relay what God is saying through the gospel. And what he's saying through the gospel is, I have been pursuing you from the beginning of time with a love that you could never drink dry and I'm telling you that if you want it, it's yours but you gotta lay down the idol would you stand with me this morning I love that I serve a God who's, whose goal is always redemption 
that the whale spits Jonah out. Now, he doesn't spit him in and in, but he's still got to walk. He's still got a journey. Some of you, you're going to come up out of Sheol, but you still got a journey ahead of you. That's a long ways. It's like here to Flagstaff. It's a long walk. And you got ahead of yourself. But I do believe that the God that we serve is a God of redemption, the God of second chances. And this morning, God is saying, if you would just turn around, if you just leave all this stuff, I know it seems important, but if you would leave it and turn towards me, you're going to find the all-pursuing love of God. You've been looking for purpose. You've been trying to find it. You're not sure. You're not sure who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? And God is saying, you know what? Right now, what you need to do is you need to get in my presence. And if you want to get in my presence, you got to lay down the idols. Is everyone with me this morning? You understand? Believe that God's working on your heart this morning, and he's asking some of you. He's asking you, and you're wrestling. He's asking you, saying, are you willing to lay it down? And what you vow this morning, will you keep? Willing to lay down that computer? Are you willing to lay down those things? Are you willing to lay down this thing that you're constantly addicted to? Are you willing to lay down that relationship? Are you willing to lay down that self-image? Are you willing to lay down that money? Are you willing to lay down that stuff? Are you willing to lay down that calendar? Are you willing to lay down this sense of control that you always have to have in your life that eventually just leads to anxiety and breakdowns? Are you willing to lay it down? Are you willing to lay it down? He's asking this morning, are you willing to lay it down? Would you bow your head with me? I believe God's telling you. I know some of you are crying out from shale this morning, saying, God, I need you. And this morning, I want, I want to hear, before we have this moment of confession kind of together, I want you to hear me if you're in that place this morning, that God hears your prayer and that God answers prayers. Some of you, you're in the shale of your relationship. God hears you. Some of you, you're in the shale of your health. God hears you. God knows you and God answers. And so before, before we pray, before we kind of lay these other things down, I just want to pray specifically for you this morning. Every head closed, every eye bows. If you feel like you're in shale this morning and you need deliverance, you're saying like, God, I need deliverance in my life this morning. I need to be lifted up out of this. Whatever it is for you, you're saying, I need to be lifted. And with every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to pray for you. If you would just lift your hand up and leave it up this morning, you're saying, I feel like I'm in the depths this morning, but I would love to pray because I believe that prayers are powerful. Just just leave it up. Every head's bowed. This is you and God. You're lifting it to the Lord, not to me, not for your neighbor, but to the Lord. And you're saying, God, hear my prayer this morning. And so we're going to pray together. And I just want you to agree. If you don't have your hand up, praise the Lord that you're not in shale, but you might be soon. So let's just all pray together and believe in faith. God, we lift it up together. We thank you that your word says, when I called, you answered. God, I thank you that you come to our rescue. God, I thank you that you see us. God, I thank you that every person with their hand raised is not forgotten, that you have not left them, that you have not forgotten them, that you have not walked on without them and they're behind, but that you see them and you know them. And so, God, I pray by your power like you have shown us in your word, God, that you would lift them right now out of shale, that you would raise them up. God, if it's out of a relationship, I pray that you would mend like only you can mend. If it's out of health, I pray that you would heal like only you can heal. If it's a deliverance in any way, God, I pray that you would deliver like only you can deliver, God. And we stand in faith and we agree together that it is only our mighty God who loves us and pursues us, who can raise us out of shale. And we agree together and everyone said amen amen one more thing this morning kind of stay in this moment we're just doing two things is this if this morning uh every every eye closed every head bowed stay in this i don't want to jump out of this we jump out of moments really quick i want to just stay 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 if you're in this place and you're saying i i want that all pursuing love of god but i have allowed idols things to come into my life They've given priority, but today I, I just say enough. I say, I'm, I'm looking for purpose through the presence of God. I'm looking for love, and I'm just saying enough of all that. I'm done. God, I want to give it to you, my whole heart. Maybe this morning, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord, and for the very first time, you're, you're saying this morning, God, I choose to follow you and give you my full heart. You've never committed. You've never said, God, Jesus, I'm tired of living for me. I'm tired of living for myself, the idol myself. I, I want to live for you now. And you want to begin that journey. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up and put it down this morning? Just lift it up and put it down. Say, that's me this morning. 
And this morning, if you're with me and you're saying, there's things in my life that I need to lay down today. I need to lay down. I don't want to go out these doors still following these vain things and trading away the all-pursuing love of God. I want to lay them down right now. I just want to leave them here. I don't even want them to fall me out of the door. They're just staying here. I want to lay them down this morning. I want to walk out in freedom of God. Would you just lift your hand? Every eye closed, every head bowed, just lift your hand. Say, I'm going to lay some things down this morning. Whatever it is, just lift it up. And as you lift it up, just feel that as you're lifting it to the Lord and saying, God, I give this to you. I give my full heart to you. And we're going to pray together this morning. And just agree with me. And then the band's going to play. But, but just agree with me this morning. I say, God, you see all these hands that are lifting up to you, their heart and saying, God, I lay aside all the vain idols. I lay aside the things I've been going for, the things I've been trying to find purpose in, and I'm coming after you, God, because from the beginning of time, you've been coming after me. And God, I just turn around and receive it this morning and just receive that love from him this morning, that all-pursuing love of God. And so, God, we say, I, I take my whole heart. If you're with me this morning and, you and you're going to lay it down, just say that out loud or say it in your heart. I take my whole heart and I lay it at your feet. I choose to follow you. Show me your love. Yes, God, we glorify you this morning. I pray this morning for every person who's raised their hand. I pray if there's more of you to have, we want to have it. And God, even for those who didn't raise their hand, God, this morning, as we go out into our life, into our work, God, I pray that our lives will be built on you, that our heart will be built on you, God, that everything we do would be a reflection of you, God, that nothing would come in and steal away that all-pursuing love of God, but that we would become steadfast in you, God, that we would become locked into you and into your your will, Lord God. And God, we just rejoice and thank you, Lord, that this morning, if we laid it down, it stays here. God, if we laid it down this morning, it doesn't go with us. It stays right here. It stays here. It's cast off. It's gone. Receive this this morning as I prophesy over you that if you chose to lay it aside this morning, it's gone. That God has released you. That God has freed you. That bitterness that you've hold, held on to, God has freed you this morning. You don't got to walk out with it. He's let it go off your shoulders. And he's saying,